Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Good morning, crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Gonzo, also known as Super G, is in the building. And we have somebody who needs no introduction for the XRP community, a longtime educator in the space and the founder of XRP Las Vegas this May. Digital Perspective is in the buildings, ladies and gentlemen. So I am very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how SEC Chair, SEC Chair Gary Gensler is being put on the hot seat on April 18th as the Government Oversight Committee is questioning his approach to crypto regulation. Kathy Wood is the latest Wall Street mogul to announce her support for Ripple against the SEC, telling the world this case could be over in June. As R3 Corda gets a massive innovative push, announcing XDC as a native currency to this revolutionary banking ecosystem. John Deaton exposed the game for crypto investors last night, explaining the SEC's clear agenda to allow traditional finance to dominate crypto. And with XRP's price chart breaking above a six-month resistance, we break down the details, showing our community how this project is setting up to be the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, as you can tell, we have a very special guest in the building today. Somebody who actually started my XRP journey way back in the day. It was Bearable Bull. Brad Kimes and the Digital Asset Investor. So shout out to you, Brad. But before we get into your introduction, Johnny, how you feeling, my friend? And thank you for making time for us. Well, Abs, I've definitely felt a lot better. It was a rough night last night. I'll try to make it through it. But I do want to say I am super excited. First, let me say good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love you. Appreciate you guys for showing up every single day. We get the best chat in the house. But Abs, I am super, super excited today because, as you mentioned, when, when I first got into crypto, like kind of grew up, 
I grew up, you know, you grow up and you watch cartoons and stuff. Like Brad was one of those guys, digital perspective. I grew up listening and watching him. That He just has that iconic voice. I love it. Brad, I'm so glad you're here. I can't wait to hop into it. We got some exciting stuff. And I know you've got some really, really cool uh, things coming up that we're going to share with, with our with our audience here. So thank you for coming. We love you and can't wait to hop into it. Awesome, guys. And we got Super G joining us as well. As always, Gonzo, happy to see you. How are you feeling this morning, my friend? Thank you for being here. I'm feeling outstanding. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. I'm just feeling really blessed right now, man. Anytime that I can be on with you guys and now I get to be on with Brad and learn, like like we all have our stories, right, where we got into the crypto space and we started following certain people. So being here and being able to, to be on the show with him now is is uh, is is like you can't say that manifestation is not real because we've all manifested these things. So it's just really awesome. It's going to be a great show. Absolutely, Brad. And I know it's always a little bit awkward receiving compliments, but when you come on GMC, you're going to get the praise because like we all said, many of our journeys started with your account. So I just want to say thank you for making time for us. And why don't you fill our listeners in right off the bat on XRP Las Vegas and what you've, what you've set up for May 5th. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you. That means a lot to me. Uh, and it is a great pleasure to be here. It's an honor and a privilege. And shout out to Coach JV, too. So we're looking forward to having him at XRP Las Vegas. And yes, XRP Las Vegas is going to be amazing. It's May 5th and May 6th. The conference is on May 6th. There is a ticket for each one. You have to actually join the annual membership for my digital perspective mastermind group to attend the VIP Friday event. But if you want to go to the conference, you can just buy a ticket itself and come to the conference. It's going to be an amazing day. And, you know, it is long overdue because it, I can't think of any one or any group of people that deserves to be celebrated anymore. And I don't say this in a utility or in a maxi fashion, because I'm a utility maxi. You know, I'm not just a coin maxi. I'm a utility maxi. If your project's got it, I'm probably into it. But I say this because of what we have been through, not only the down market for almost five years now, but what we're really talking about here is the last two plus years of this case and the SEC versus Ripple case. And I just, I, I know how I personally feel. I know how my audience members feel. And uh, it is time for us to celebrate our journey and where it is and the fact that this may not be over with the ruling altogether, but we're going to get a ruling. And the thing that I cling to is that we are further down the road for legal clarity, however it goes, than any other project of the 23 plus thousand cryptocurrencies in the space. So I'm very excited about that. Absolutely, Brad. I'm really excited to dive into that today, but we're going to start the show off the same way we always do by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. We're at 3,250 followers. Go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. Johnny Crypto, the Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is in greed this morning, sitting at a 57. And when we look at the daily movers, it is green across the board. Algorand is up 13%. And we've got KAS up nearly 50% on the day. When we check out the total coin market cap, we are at 1.18 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 46% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 28,300. Ethereum, 1,800. XRP is 54 cents. Cardano is 38. And we'll scroll down to one of our favorites, Quant Network, sitting at 123. And since we got Brad on the show, guys, we got 324 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. You heard it here. All of our group members are going to be at the XRP Las Vegas event. So if you're looking to catch us, 
you know where to find us on May 5th. But Johnny, let's start this show off with a little interesting news and just hear your, what are you focusing on? Because I'm excited to play a, a brand new clip of Kathy Wood stating this case could be over in June. Yeah, that obviously, as we've been saying all along, what have we been saying on this show? Watch the price chart of XRP. You'll know when this case is coming to an end, way before you actually hear news, you'll see activity in the charts. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing some serious activity happen, and we're not hearing any news, right? So there's one of two things. There's either just a bunch of speculation because everybody thinks that this case is coming to an end this week and or next week, and maybe we get the rug pulled out from us, or something's coming. Some kind of announcement, as Brad said. We're either getting a ruling, a settlement, something. So we're going to have to find out. Yes, thank you, Gary. We know where to find you, too. We got Gary and Kramer in the audience. But uh... <laughs> Brad, just in case you didn't know, one of our loyal listeners is Gary Gensler, and the other one is Jim Kramer. But you know what's cool? Regardless of how many times we call them out, they continue to show up in the live chat. So just want to give a shout-out to Gary Gensler this morning. And Brad, while we're talking about the XRP price chart, Let's get right into the details here as clearly we have broken past a six-month level of resistance, getting past this 50-cent range and heading into some bullish territory. We've talked about it many times on our show before. From 54 cents up to about 68 cents, there seems to be almost no levels of resistance. So before we get into the details, what does that mean to you, my friend? Well, look, I, I have to lean into what Johnny is saying here. You know, uh, it's exciting to see the price going in the right direction. And you have to wonder if this is, you know, larger parties, it be institutions or whatever, like hedging that this case will go well and they're taking big positions. Maybe it's just the spirit animals, right? The retail investor spirit animals, you know, getting their game together. You know, I, I, I can't know. And look, I have basic technical analyst skills, but I rely on others on my show to, to, to lean into what may be happening or not and what those indicators may be or not and the strength of going up or down. And, you know, to me, I think the biggest thing for me is, is that, you know, it, it's really the fundamental news that's going to inform the very live, in, you know, uh, investing market, whether it's an institution or an investor, and knowing that this case is close to some kind of ruling or settlement, you have to believe, I think, like Johnny has said here, that, you know, this is this is something to do with that feeling, that vibe. Now, th that doesn't tell us what the case is going to be, you know, how it's going to shake out. Right. But I feel good about where it is. And I've always believed that there's a great chance that we could go to the Supreme Court in this as well. So. Uh, I've been very clear about that. And I don't think that if that were to in if a ruling in part were to put the path towards the appeal, appellate court and then maybe the Supreme Court, I don't believe that's necessarily has to be a negative scenario for, uh, you know, XRP holders, I, you know, because if you go back to uh, if I could just really quickly, like Stuart Adorati said, when this case first dropped, goodbye, Howie test, hello, ripple test. Well, ever since then, that that has always stuck with me. And because of that, you know, I went back and I looked and, you know, I know SEC versus Howie went all the way to the Supreme Court to become the Howie test, which tells me that maybe he firmly believes that in some part this decision needs to go the distance to become the ripple test. Because, you know, you are going to really at some point, it's about all the money, right? So if it's about all the money and the value protocol is that important, 
I really do see a potential for it to have to go the distance of appellate court and Supreme Court to get that legal finality in order to really have all the money or whatever that percentage would be truly move across those payment rails. That's just my thought. It doesn't have to be bad for us while we're waiting for it to happen because the SEC versus Howie, Howie won all the way up to the Supreme Court. Unbelievable, Brad. And while we're talking about XRP, let's dive into some controversial topics. We've heard many other influencers or educators in the space before talk about how companies and, and centralized entities like Bank of America and JP Morgan could someday come to retail investors like us and give us an interest on our XRP. So just broadly, I'd like to ask, do you ever see a day when companies like Bank of America or JP Morgan come to Brad Kimes and say, hey, give us 100,000 XRP, we'll give you 8%. Gee, gosh, I hope so. I mean, that look, uh, you know, uh, it, it's something I talk about on my channel a lot is like, you know, I have two different two different parts of my portfolio. I have a long term portfolio and then I have what's called a shallow bag. And shout out to Nick Burefato, Mr. BXRP and Big Skinny for giving me that idea. And uh, my shallow bag and not financial advice to anyone, but just telling my, my digital perspectives of what I'm doing, right, is that I do have a shallow bag, a portion of my assets that I've put together to take at a smaller price point, whether that's, you know, five, 10, $25 or something. I've been through enough bull runs at this point in this space and market jumps to know that I'm going to take profits the next time around at a certain price point. And I've worked very hard to make sure that I can do that without harming my long-term portfolio and outlook. And I hope that the long-term outlook is exactly like you talked about, is the ability to stake my assets and not sell them. That is the really the, the, the holy grail, so to speak. Absolutely. And I do believe there's going to be a day when companies like Bank of America do approach us, although I'm an optimist, Brad. So of course, I'm going to give that take. But guys, we got 425 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We got digital perspectives in the building. So of course, this is an XRP centric episode. And I think a great place to start this episode is with a video released from Coindesk yesterday explaining how companies like Bank of America are lined up behind the scenes to use Ripple's on-demand liquidity product. Oh, I, I read that search. Yeah, you know, I think that's one piece of it. But for, for whatever reason, I'd like to unpack a little more of the conversation. And here's the other part. Rather they win or they lose, it doesn't matter, to be honest with you. They still have the long-term institutional partnerships in which uh, they will still be able to move value across the Internet. And to my, in my personal opinion about this and the way I think about this is if they are made an example of, it's still not a bad thing. Right, the world is staged. Let's like quote unquote Shakespeare thinking about that. Shout out to digital asset investor right there. All the world is a stage. And what he said reiterates what you just said, Brad. Doesn't matter what the resolution of this case is. Regardless, this technology is already planned to be adopted behind the scenes. And before we hear from Gonzo and Johnny, I'd love to get some additional comments from you. Well, look, I mean, I, and sorry, I just want to make sure you're throwing it to me. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think this is. I think, you know, one of the beautiful things is, is that that gentleman, and I agreed with everything that he said there, uh, he said it on Coindesk and Coindesk has been, you know, I, I mean, I want, you know, what do you, what do you think, you know, the bigger question is, is what about Coindesk? I'm trying to say something nice about them because they've really been negative or non-existent when covering the SEC versus Ripple case. It's, and, and when they have done it, they've done it in a negative fashion when they had Stuart Alderati on the show.
So, you know, to me, it felt good just to see somebody that was informed go on there and say something that they were not ready for because it looks like they're deer in the headlights while he's delivering real facts to them about what's going on in the case. Johnny Crypto, I got to admit, it was music to my ears to hear him talk about the Bank of America partnership because that's something we've referenced for several months on our channel. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. What did you think about that video and the fact that he's bringing up Bank of America just like we do on GMC? Yeah, I guess he watches DMC. Maybe he, you know, caught an episode before he hopped on. But the reality is, abs, I, we have said exactly what he has said on this show too. Totally agree that it doesn't matter in the long run whether they win or lose. They have to get the monkey off their back. That is the key. And any kind of ruling is eventually going to get us there. I know people argued with us and disagreed that if it's a security, it's a problem. But no, it's not because if it's a security. Then Ripple will do the things they got to do to file as a security, and then it will get used and it will unlock the value. Because again, we're talking about utility here, and we know that Ripple's XRP and the ODL solves a major, major, major unmet need or problem. And when you solve problems and you can do them cheaper and better, companies are going to go use it because they're always looking to improve their bottom line. And you know what's interesting, Gonzo, is we showed this story yesterday of Gary Gensler stating that all crypto exchanges should not be considered safe custodians. Well, just the other day, we got a great announcement out of the NASDAQ stating that they would be able to custody your crypto assets. So don't trust Coinbase. Don't trust any of these crypto exchanges. Come right back to traditional finance, my friend. So before we continue with the show, Gonzo, I'd love to get your thoughts on Gary Gensler's agenda to take traditional finance and allow them to custody crypto. Yeah, I mean, you could already see the move like we talked about before. While he's throwing out all these different lawsuits behind the scenes, you see TradFi, you see people like BNY Mellon that they're going to custody crypto. You see the NASDAQ is now rolling out their custody crypto. Um, and like we, we talked about, um, to, to make a comment, sorry, I, I lost my train of thought for a second, but to make a comment we were talking about before, um, as far as the, the XRP case, it like Brad said, it's going to be one of the, only assets that has that kind of regulatory clarity, right? Regardless of how it turns out. And we already know that Brad Garlinghouse has talked about this to where they acted as if they lost the case and they continue to build their partnerships around the world, right? I think the statistic was is they moved from like three countries that was like in 2019, they're up to 40 countries now. So it does, the way that they're dealing with it, it doesn't really matter what happens in the lawsuit. They're gonna continue to build these partnerships around the world in a use case for ODL, right? Now, we all lean into the fact that they're going to win eventually, whether they win outright or like Brad was talking about, this thing goes to the Supreme Court and we get a brand new uh, Howie test. We still win at the end. All we have to do is be patient, right? Absolutely. And Brad, I'd love to get your take on this as well. We're witnessing the CFTC and the SEC battle for crypto regulation because we know whoever gets to regulate this market makes a lot of money. And that's what Gary Gensler is all about. Anybody who's been studying this case. But something that I actually got a couple of questions on this week, and I'd love for you to address this. One of our listeners messaged me and they said, if Coinbase has already been sued by the SEC, why would I need to take my assets off that exchange? So I want to remind our listeners, not only has Coinbase not been sued by the SEC, the real storm is yet to begin. They received a Wells notice, which means the SEC is investigating illegal activity. So Brad, I'd love to get your opinion. We always say not your keys, not your crypto. Do you share that similar sentiment? And how do you feel about companies like Coinbase custodying crypto right now? Well, you know, this is a great question, Abs. And, you know, for me, I'll just explain my approach, you know, uh, to how I've handled it since we've seen all of this from the SEC going after exchanges and what have you. So uh, Coinbase was a big exchange for me, right, for a long time. 
And then obviously, you know, they delisted XRP and that, you know, that hurt. That was a, that was a big blow. Right. And uh, I don't see them taking the same strident action now that they're saying that Ethereum is a, is a security from the New York attorney general. Right. So the way I've approached it, it for me, and it look again, not financial advice to anybody else, but in a market, in a time like this, what I've decided to do is to really kind of get a little more focused with where my holdings are. So uh, normally I would be spread out across a couple exchanges and some cold storage. And I kind of felt good, right? Like if any one thing went really wrong, I can't be completely wiped out, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, I'm always paranoid about those things. And if I could just quickly, I want to say, if you're ever contacted by an exchange or a cold storage provider that you uh, you know, remember every good hustle, every good scam comes with making it feel authentic and they scare you. They knock you off your feet just to, just for a second. And they only need that second. And then you've messed up and you've shared something you shouldn't have or you've, you know, you know, and, and that's and then and then it's like now you're in this process of trying to find your your assets. So for me, I hold my shallow bag on uphold. And that's where I feel comfortable there. And everything else now is in cold storage on a couple different uh, cold storage wallets. And I just, you know, for me, like uh, Ledger is what I use. And I use a couple different uh, nanos for that. And that during this time is making me feel the most comfortable right now. And again, I, the only reason I keep the shallow bag on uphold is I like uphold the exchange personally myself. And it allows me if there is quick price action, which XRP is known for when it does finally decide to move, um, I can act quickly on the exchange and take profits from my shallow bag. Absolutely. And here's another interesting detail. We're talking about how Gary Gensler's main objective is to take traditional finance and allow it to operate within crypto. Well, John Deaton broke down those details yesterday. And if I could take a moment here just to find this video, here it is, guys. This is the breaking news yesterday from John Deaton, not only highlighting the corruption taking place within the SEC, but the clear agenda that's going on right in front of our eyes. So I'm going to play this short clip here and go back to the group. Here we go. But when Mark says don't fight the government, so what's Coinbase do? Shut down? When Mark says, listen to the government, who, when the government says it's regulators, Gary Gensler, who won't be there three years from now? Well, what about when it's Jay Clayton and Bill Hinman? They say Ethereum's not a security, but a new chairman says he is a security or implies it. You have to fight the government when the government is corrupt and they overreach. Coinbase met 30 times. Coinbase has a broker-dealer license for securities and said, which one of these tokens are security? And the government says, we don't tell you. We don't give advice. The SEC says, we're not going to tell you which ones are securities, even though we're saying you're listing securities. And these are... We're going to play the remainder of that after, but Brad, I'd love to get some comments from you. Let me just remind the people, the SEC is by the people for the people, your tax dollars are what actually pay this government agency to go out and corral the securities market. Well, here they are, Brad, actually shooting people in the foot who give them their paychecks. So I just like to get your statements. Feel free to elaborate on what John said. How do you feel about the 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for? The plan that's playing out right before our eyes of, of Gary Gensler being given the green light to take traditional finance and allow it to custody these crypto assets. Well, I look, it's how it's being done. Right. That's that's the problem here. 
it, it, you know, I, I've, I've never been under a misconception that the legacy firms and financial institutions would be the ultimate exalted rulers and holders of this space and controllers of this space. I've always understood that that day was coming. It's how it's happening. I am greatly aligned with John Deaton's comments. Uh, and thank God for John Deaton, by the way, and everything he's doing for all of us. And by the way, for every crypto holder in the space, whether they realize it or not. Right. So, you know, greatly aligned with everything that he said there. And, you know, the, what he really focused in on that comment, his comment there to say is, is that how is it the SEC could have such a different view about their purview from Jay Clayton to now Gary Gensler to whoever comes in next and the next person after that, you know, the SEC is not supposed to be a political arm. And that's exactly what we see taking place here. And what, unfortunately, like I said, you know, it's, it's how you bring in the legacy firms when you're using the SEC, which is a government agency meant to protect the investor, which is us, but you're using that agency to, to inform a space with nothing but a lack of clarity and vagueness and fear. And they won't provide you with what you need to operate in a legal requirement or re regulatory fashion. It's clear to me that that, that agency, it appears is under regulatory capture and regulatory capture means that they're doing the bidding for someone else other than who they're supposed to be doing it for. So they're not protecting investors. They've harmed all of us. And everything they're doing is playing into hands to suppress the crypto market so that it actually suffocates the ones who can't survive this kind of vagueness and lack of clarity that's going on right now. A couple lawsuits thrown your way or a company's way. And the next thing you know, you're out of business. Look at Jeremy Kaufman and the library project. It is despicable what has happened to them. Right. So they actually went in there looking for clarity. Right. You know, hey, tell us what we do. We just want to stay above board. Next thing you know, you're in jail. No, it's not that. But, you know, but they've been collapsed. Right. They've been crushed to the point that they're done for. And, and it's like. And for what? Who did they protect? No one was being harmed there. But maybe that was done because it was a really like a video platform. Maybe. Yeah, I'm speculating. I'm a, I'm a speculative. And, and Brad, I can even rebuttal here. One of the things that I've witnessed throughout this entire XRP case is the narrative that this, this case in and of itself is going to affect every crypto lawsuit after the fact. And that's why we always talk about it on our channel. Not only we're huge advocates for XRP, but we understand whatever the resolution is, it's going to have an impact on cases going forward. And one of the cases that we love to discuss is the ICO of Ethereum that took place in 2014. What mm -hmm. we think the SEC is doing here and Gary Gensler's chess move is to state everything besides Bitcoin is a security. What does that do? Distances himself from the Ethereum ICO that took place back in 2014 and also allows for him to only go after staking that took place on Ethereum in 2020. So they're going to give everyone a free pass from before 2020 while coming after the staking protocol. So it's a great way to navigate this market. I'd like to get your thoughts on that, on that hypothetical situation. Well, I, I think it's I think it's right. And 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 I do believe that. And I mean, look, and just to go back quickly, I mean, you know, uh, Gary Gensler said very clearly that the central monopolists control the banking financial sector. And in order to participate, if you're a, you know, a newcomer, an up and coming startup, you may have to give up 50 percent of your ownership in order to play along in that space. 
But how do you get that to happen? Well, you get that to happen by the SEC not operating above board and operating in the interest of those legacy firms, those central monopolists that he so clearly was able to articulate to all of his MIT students in 2018. And now he's the chair of the SEC, and it appears the only people he's actually serving is the central monopolist. So coming to your question about Ethereum and the unregistered ICO, you know, I see much more of the same here. You know, Gary Gensler's like, well, I wasn't here when the ICO went down, but I can be the sheriff in town that makes it look like I actually care, right? And I'll do something. Maybe it's a fine. Yeah, I find it suspicious that the New York Attorney General is the one that is suing KuCoin for letting New York residents buy Ethereum and specifically told them to buy Ethereum off of KuCoin so they could now say that it is a unregistered security, right? So uh, because... Look at where the SEC's faced. What, what is going to be revealed when we see these Hinman emails? Will we ever see these Hinman emails? Brad, why don't you tell us? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't understand that answer. What do you believe is going to be revealed in those Hinman emails? Well, I think we can only go with what Brad Garlinghouse has said. And that it is shameless, right? What we're going to see in those emails, if they become available to us, it is shameless, the actions of the SEC. And what I believe is in those is damaging information, whether it be an out-and-out -out deal that struck with Ethereum or whether it just be the collusion of dealing with William Hinman itself. You know, it is clear that the SEC does not want those emails to be public. That much is for certain. So, it, you know, I can't say what is in them because I don't know. But I obviously, from the actions of the SEC and all the different steps they've taken to try to keep them from being public, there's something that is not favorable to them in them. Absolutely. And Johnny Crypto, I know you had some additional comments. So before I play the end of that video, what stuck out to you, my friend? Well, it's funny. I actually was listening to that uh, spaces. And the reality is the, the good news here when you try it, when you step back and look for the silver lining, is that it validates that crypto is here to stay. And it validates that they are looking to get their hands, their grips into it so that because they know how big this is going to be in the, in the long run and so they're not going to let it continue to go on running so remember the four stages right first they ignore you then they laugh at you then they fight you and then you win right now we're at the then they fight you stage but in the stages before it was the ignore so they let, they let you know all us common folks and in, in the whales who were running the crypto industry then have their fun and play with it and do it but now they realize this thing's real and here to stay and there's a bunch of money to be made there ain't no damn way they're going to let this ship sail without them owning the ship. And that's what you're seeing. That is, ex this is exactly, Brad said it spot on. Gary ain't helping the little guy. Gary's helping his friends. Gary's just been told to do a job. He's just a puppet on a string. And he's doing what he's told to do to position them in, the, in, in, the, to get themselves in a position so that when they launch this song, bitch, and we know when they launch it, they're going to let it fly. They're going to be in the position to gain gain all that generational wealth. So I think that's what's happening. The good news for us all here is we're already here. We're all here and we're so damn early. I know it feels like we're late, but we're so early. We're all going to also benefit. Yeah, yeah. Some of these things are going to go away. Some are going to get wiped out. You know, But at the end of the day, if you're investing in good utility-based um, technologies and cryptocurrencies, I think you're going to see that there's a huge, huge opportunity waiting for everybody that's invested in this early.
And Mark Yusko seems to agree with you, Johnny Crypto. Check out this quote. I think it applies very well to what the XRP community is going through. Mark says the best time to invest in something is when everyone tells you how dumb you are to even think about buying that asset. The worst time to invest in something is when everyone's telling you how smart you are for purchasing that same asset. And I learned this lesson back in 2022. Before I was involved in crypto, I was a stock trader. And that's how I made my money to, to roll that into crypto. And what I ended up doing was when I left that trade, everyone criticized me. Friends, family, everyone thought that this crypto thing was a huge scam. Within six months, we had experienced a $30,000 Bitcoin. And many, if not all of my friends and family who had criticized me were coming and asking what they should be buying. And in my head, I was thinking, this is when I exit the market. So Brad, I think that's a good story that really highlights what's going on behind the scenes. And we have the rest of this video that I'd love to play. So I'm going to play the end of this clip here from John Deaton. Then we'll kick it back to the group. Here we go. Assets in the secondary market Okay, and you have a government regulator who is absolutely crushing this industry for purpose. If you think you talk about the Hamas language, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the Ripple case when they talked about they use non-fraud, they use fraud-like language, even though they didn't allege fraud against the executives. It's because it inflames people's emotions. When you talk about terrorists, that terrorist Thomas language in the complaint is absolutely not necessary or arguably relevant to the underlying swap and derivatives charges. It's there to create the narrative for Elizabeth Warren and Gary Gister to say, look, Bitcoin included is still being used primarily for illicit purposes to fund terrorism. It is a campaign that is coordinated intended. And, and I'm telling you, what's going to happen is they're going to crush this market until the incumbents come in and get a bigger slice. Go on Crypto Law US, my site. Gary Gensler in April 2018 at MIT discusses this issue. He says the incumbent players are not going to let this happen. He goes on to say that the disruptors will have to pay up to 50% of their business. The man's on video at MIT before being chaired. Unbelievable, uh, Brad Kimes. I almost called you Brad Garlinghouse. But you know what's so funny about this clip is we talk about this all the time on the show. Gary Gensler admitted it. Before he even worked at the SEC, he said traditional finance would never allow this crypto revolution to take place without getting a piece of the pie. So I'm sure you have some statements. I'd love to give you the open floor. Then we'll kick it to Gonzo. Well, look, I mean, I, I think this is spot on. I know I've played that exact clip from MIT back in 2018, uh, maybe a hundred times or so. Sometimes I think the audience is tired of seeing it, but you know, you have to hammer it. It's the truth. It's like, you know, this is, this is, he had clear understanding of exactly how it all works. And he was teaching everybody paying top dollar to goes that goes to MIT exactly how it all works. Like, don't listen to him out there. You listen to me. I'm giving you this stuff, school book, textbook style right here. This is the way it really works. Rubber meets the road. That's why people go to MIT. That's why they go to Yale. That's why they go to Harvard and Stanford and so on, right? And so they can get the rubber meets the road level, what's really going on. No frills, bells, and whistles, right? And that's exactly what he told everybody. And now he's at the SEC, I believe, my personal opinion, doing the bidding for those central monopolists. 
I wish you, I wish I could say you were wrong, Brad. Sorry, I just got stuck on the mute button there. But Gonzo, we're going to play an interesting video after you give your comments about how Gary Gensler could be put on the hot seat for the way he's regulated this market thus far. But I'd love to get some thoughts on that video we just played. How do you feel about John Deaton calling out the hypocrisy and the fact that this is the most important detail? Coinbase was not only approved by the SEC in 2021 to go public, they approved the assets that were listed on that exchange. So when they filed the lawsuit this year, Coinbase said, well, tell us what assets you believe to be securities. The SEC wouldn't disclose which currencies or which digital assets operate as securities. So I could go off on another tangent there, but I'd love to get your thoughts, Gonzo. What's that mean to you? Yeah, you're spot on, Abs. I mean, you know, Coinbase talked about it. They said that they met with them over a nine month period, like 30 times, and they gave them zero guidance, zero rules. They wouldn't give them any information, right? Um, all you have to do is look at, like, forget about like, you know, changing their minds from one, uh, from one SE chair, SE chair to the other. Just look at what happened with Coinbase as far as what you're talking about with the staking, right? In order for them to go public, it is a very rigorous process, right? They, they look at everything. They mentioned staking 57 times. And they had zero issues with it and they let them go public. Now, two years later, Coinbase has not changed their business model. The business model is exactly the same, but yet now they have an issue with the staking, right? And so it's wild. And, and Deaton is spot on when he talks about the Binance lawsuit, right? Because I read a lot of the comments. I, I read a lot of, of, of the lawsuit and what they were talking about. And the whole terrorism thing, it's all a narrative, right? When you read what the comments were in the text thread, they could be taken out of context. You really don't know what they're talking about. They could be joking. He could be just kind of uh, being sarcastic. I mean, you, you just don't know. And they're really trying to inflame people. The other thing they did was the whole law enforcement thing where they talked about that finance freezes your account, unfreezes it, and then notifies whoever is the account holder, basically like making it seem like, well, they're letting the criminals know that they're being investigated. Well, that's not unique to something with Binance. I know for a fact that when you write search warrants on cell phones, the cell phone companies, right, they eventually tell the people that a search warrant and that that, that information was given to law enforcement. So it's, it has something to do with the law, nothing to do specific to Binance or something nefarious. But that's the way that they're trying to play because they're trying to get people emotions up. Absolutely, Gonzo. And Brad, we tried to highlight this earlier in the episode. The CFTC and SEC are battling for control to regulate this market because they make money by regulating this market. Gary Gensler and the SEC have made billions from the crypto market when it comes to these lawsuits. And I want to read a couple of details before I kick it back to you. So in this new lawsuit filed by the CFTC against Binance for allegedly selling commodities, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Tether, and BUSD were considered commodities by the CFTC. And before we break down the details, I'd love to pause it there. How do you feel about them calling stable coins commodities in this new lawsuit, Brad? Well, I, look, I, <laughs> you know, uh, I, let, let me let me go macro here because for one, I think it's I, I think what what I see out of this, whether it's you know stable coins or commodities versus Gary Gensler claiming that they're securities and this that and the other. Uh, I think all of this is by design. Like, first of all, Congress is feckless. Uh, Congress is feckless because they keep saying they're going to do anything. A new day's coming, right? All this stuff. You know, um, <laughs> I don't want to say a bad word, but uh, hey, you're allowed to. You're allowed to. No filters necessary. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? Well, you know, they're they're complete bullshit. Right. And and the, and the truth is, is like what I've seen out of and, and I've got great respect for all of them. You know, they go there and do their gig. But you know what? 
When I see your largest effort for a new day is tweeting on Twitter that you're upset and that you're, you know, invoking everybody that there's going to be this new day, but you haven't done anything, but I'm 51. So I realized they could cut that budget off at the SEC today. They could have done it months ago if they wanted to. And they could have got him to come in there and sit down. That's all they would that's all they would have had to do. It's that simple. But you know what? It isn't that simple. Because you know, there's two large donors to Congress, and it's pharma and it's banks. And they don't give to one side of the aisle, they give to both sides of the aisle. So when they understand that the power is in this one's court and this one's court, you know, I can stand here and complain and bitch all day about how this isn't right. There's going to be a new day coming and I'm not going for it. You just wait. Well, where, what are we waiting for? You know what I mean? You have the power to shut the money off to the SEC and get his ass in there and sit him down and straighten it out. But they don't want to because I firmly believe that all of Congress no matter how much they say that they don't agree with this statement, I believe all of Congress wants the majority of cryptocurrencies to be regulated as digital asset securities. And I believe that they know exactly how they're going to split this market up. And I think there will be some as commodities. And I also believe that they have to create this battle between the regulators, the market regulators, the SEC and the CFTC, in order for Congress to say, okay, regardless of our donor money, regardless of the lobbying efforts, we're going to have to come in and spell this out because they're forcing it to a head. And that's how you force it to a head as a, as a legislative matter where the, the, where the congressional officials can go back, hey, man, I was fighting for you. Keep that lobby money coming in. But I mean, I did what I could, but now this thing's going to have, we're going to write legislation over now, right? So now it's about how much money they can kick in to have the legislation be in favor of what they want to see done from the financial side. I mean, that's just how I see it. I have such a cynical view of Congress, and I hope I haven't spoiled anybody's idea of, you know, one side being better than the other, because I look at it like they're all drug cartels and they all do bad things for power. And that's why I can't endorse any of them, right? Because whether it's, you know, here in the U.S. and it's the Republicans or Democrats or whether you're in some other country in their party system, however it goes, one or more, it, they're all cartels. They're doing bad things all the time to remain in power. And it's a horrible thing to suggest, but that's just how I see the world at 51. Absolutely. And some would call it pessimistic. Others would call it realistic. But guys, we got 616 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and digital perspectives. You're going to like this this latest statement from Hester Pierce as she very much agrees with everything you just laid out for our listeners. So Hester Pierce said some people in the regulatory world are perfectly fine with having innovation leave the United States. That's because they don't think there's anything positive that could come out of the innovation taking place in the crypto market. Hester Pierce says that she has a different mindset, but actually we asked her to come on our show and she denied. So I'd like some of our listeners, please give Hester Pierce a shout out, let her to come on our show. I know I'm only kidding here, but Brad, what do you think really briefly about these statements? And then we'll continue with the other members of the group. Innovation, leaving the United States, is this all part of the plan? I, I do believe, I believe that they figured out what the technology is and how they can use it. And I believe they're interested in the disruption to the financial system. And then a lot of the large legacy firms don't want it. The kings of the mountain, the banks and the kings of the mountain, the legacy system don't want this. The friction of the system is how they make money, right? So understanding that you're going to disrupt that 
is a problem for them and they don't want to see it change. So then you start looking at the geopolitical or geopolitical environment and the global economy and what's taking place and the bank runs that are happening. Are they induced? Are they induced to inspire the ones stuck that don't want to change to change? You know, Signature Bank was taken over and Barney Frank told everybody, we're not insolvent. They just took it. You know, it's like, what do you work for an accountant firm called Lean Over and Took It? <laughs> you know, it's really, Michael Barr. Really screw them and how. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know, it's it's like this This to me spells, and it, it, it leans into my cynical view of things. And when I think of Hester Peirce, you know, uh, look, she started out and I was like, look, you know what? Hester is really the only one there telling the truth about these things. But you know, what is it she's done? I mean, you know, other really make her work environment probably pretty miserable. Like every day, you know, it's like, oh, here she comes down the hallway again. You know, it's like, you know, it's still it's the only one person not going with the program. Right. It's like, you know, I think she's just made her life a living hell inside of the walls of the SEC. Maybe um, I don't see anything happening as much as I appreciate her stance. I mean, I certainly appreciate where she's coming from. But, I mean, unless you're really willing to, you know, be a whistleblower of some respect to do it to a degree, it's like, what is all the I don't agree with Gary Gensler doing for any of us? I, You know what I mean? She constantly goes on and says, I don't agree with it, and nothing happens. You know, <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. And you know what we thought, like, talk about it, Johnny? I'm going to kick it to you here. You always say it's a classic example of paid actors, right? And it might not be that transparent. I'm getting an echo, Johnny, so I got to keep you on mute until you speak. But it's it's a clear example of what's happening right now. The WWE sticky note is one of our favorite props for the show because we talk about it all the time. All the world's a stage, and I know we're trying to get Hester Pierce on the show, but maybe she can debate me on this. I do feel like these statements are very hollow. I feel like she's playing the role of a good guy, pretending as if she's an advocate for these markets. So there does look like there's some battle going on when the reality is she's on the same side as Gary because they're getting paid from the same people. So, Johnny, I'd love to get your thoughts and then kick it to Brad. Yeah, well, you pretty much said them. So <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a WWE, right? You got to have good guys. You got to have bad guys. That's what you're seeing. Because if there was real good, then real things would happen. But you're not seeing it. You're just seeing words. And you know what? Words are nothing. I could care less about it. I want to see actions, right? We want to see them move this uh, space into something um you know, that, that you create, like, for example, Congress should get off the button, go, go create regulation. That's their job anyway. And if they create a regulation, we would have this. But again, this is WWE guys. You have to understand there's an agenda here. They are not going to let an external monetary system exist to let them play, let us play around their system. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. There's no freaking way. It's like Brad Garlinghouse said, they'll roll out the tanks. And we've seen tons of examples of it before. I don't want to get uh, shadow banned here, so we'll not talk about yeah, it. Yeah, let's not talk about <laughs> tanks. So the reality is, so but the reality is we just have to wait. We have to wait for them to get to, to I'm going to use your term now, to roll out all their, this is like, this. It, it, is, it is a game. It's a chess match. And they have to put all their pieces in position. And when they're in position, and somebody said it earlier in the show, uh, oh, we got coach in the house too. There, shout out to Coach JV. Um, so when they have all their places in position, then or pieces in position, then you're going to see this thing launch, right? And it's probably going to be a few years from now. And again, we're so early that it all feels like we're late. But we're, if you're patient and you sit tight and you do like Brad said earlier, right? Have an egg, have an exit plan, 
you're going to do very, very well in the long run because there is so much upside potential here like there was in the early 1990s or late 90s when we started moving into the internet boom apps. You just have to be patient. Absolutely. And we got 300, sorry, 639 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and shout out to our fearless leader. Coach JV is out there. Guys, this is a really exciting time to be involved in this market. And for one reason in particular, the bear market could be over. And when you get into a bull market, the best thing to have is an exit plan. So we're going to show you guys the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com. That's MerlinCrypto.com and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Guys, not only is it the smartest way to track your crypto, but it's absolutely essential to have price targets that you're waiting for so you can take profit in this market. Johnny, I'd love to give you a chance to make a couple statements and then we'll continue with the show. Yeah, I would just say Abs, that we're excited. We're about ready to get ready to launch Merlin in the next uh, quarter. And more importantly, we've got some partnerships that we, we can't announce right now, but we're excited about some partnerships we formed and we will be announcing those over the next few months as well with Merlin. So we got some exciting news. Uh, we're, 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 we're moving forward. We're getting ready to, uh, to do that. And when we can, we'll, we'll speak and we'll reveal those. So, uh, but you're so right. It's so important to have an exit strategy because otherwise you're going to do what we all did. You're going to watch your account go all the way up and you're going to watch it come all the way back down again. and you don't want to do that. And that's what we're going to do. Merlin's going to take the emotion out of the game so you can put some money in your pocket. Absolutely, guys. And two key details. One, we don't custody your crypto. And two, 30-day free trial. Absolutely no downside to trying our product. Absolutely free. And we love the feedback. So please give us some feedback. But we're going to show you some breaking news from today and kick it straight to Brad. As Kathy Wood is finally coming out and stating she believes Ripple will beat the SEC in court. And for anybody who doesn't know who Kathy Wood is, she's the founder and CEO of ARK Invest, which is one of the most innovative companies or i'm not sure companies but portfolios on the stock market so we're going to play the short clip and go to brad here we go moment well the sec as grace jail is going uh, in court um has been extremely inconsistent here it has approved a bitcoin futures etf which is subject to swaps risk uh, but it will not uh, approve a Bitcoin spot ETF, which is not subject to that risk. So let me just pause it here because Brad, we're going to play the clip where she mentions Ripple as well. But the reason that the SEC is hesitant to open a spot ETF is because that's bullish for the crypto market. You can short the crypto market with the product that they have today. And anybody who was here in 2017 knows the peak of Bitcoin's price run was that $19,900 mark. And what happened that exact same week, Brad? I'm sure you know. 
they launched these products and they were able to short the crypto market right after the big banks were able to short the crypto market. Coincidentally, we went into four years of downward price action. So I'd love to get some thoughts from you before we play the end of this clip. How do you feel about the SEC being resistant to a spot Bitcoin ETF, but allowing this product where you can short the market? Well, Abs, you're absolutely right. And so is Kathy Wood, right? Like uh, Christian Carlo, the former CFTC commissioner, is the guy that told the secret. You know, they popped the bubble. They introduced the futures to pop the bubble on Bitcoin intentionally. And that's why those ETFs exist, right? I mean, that's exactly why that exists today. And you're absolutely right. I believe, Abs, is that they don't want to do a spot because it's bullish for the market. And that's exactly what's happening here. You know, uh, it is despicable what we're watching take place because everything that we're watching take place is really serving other masters than the investing public. I'll leave it at that. Absolutely. And I think that's a great place to leave it. But Johnny Crypto, check out the price chart of what I was just referencing here. As you can see, this tiny little dot, this was a full-blown bull run back in 2019 and 2020. And we touched a peak of just below 20,000. Now, what I think is interesting about that, and sorry, I didn't scroll back fast enough. Here's the peak of the bull run right here, guys. But what's interesting about that is this is exactly when the product that Brad was just referencing came into this market. The second that big banks could profit off of crypto going down, that's when crypto started dropping. So I do think when they do open up a spot Bitcoin ETF, we could see the opposite effect. When they're able to leverage on the way up, Johnny, that could be a great day for these markets. So I'd love to get your thoughts and we'll kick it to Gonzo. Oh, there's no question about it. You already heard you know, Kevin O'Leary say many, many times that there's a shit ton of institutional money that's sitting on the sidelines that wants to come into Bitcoin. And the reason why it can't is because our friend over here, I don't know if he's still in the chat, Gensler, you know, in, in Congress hasn't done their job and given it clarity and they won't, you know, Friend is a loose term. Friend's a loose term. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, Gensler, the SEC has declined every single ETF. I think there was 12 applications. I forgot how many applications there were for a spot BT, a BTC spot um, ETF and every single one got rejected. But the reality is at some point I feel when they position it, when they when they've got their claws in the right spots, they will then approve this thing, and then you're going to see people's 401ks, you're going to see Fidelity, you're going to see everybody then going into it, and it's going to drive. You're going to see a bull run like you've never seen before in Bitcoin, but that's going to happen later on, I think, when they're when they're ready. You know, they're just not going to do it right now. There's obviously something they're waiting for. You know, we probably know what it is. What do you say all the time on this show? This is the narrative they're going to tell you, right? This is what you're going to hear all the time, that crypto is bad and CBDC is good. We know the truth is just the opposite, right? Like we always tell you. But abs, that's that's the game here. And I think once their CBDC is in place, that's when they're going to say, okay, now we can turn all these other things on. We'll profit, you know, we'll, we'll profit and make other things work too. And we're probably a few years. I think I heard, the last I heard, and maybe Brad knows some uh, more than me, but the last I heard the CBDC was about two years away. I think I heard, uh, was it Yellen or somebody was saying, about two years away. So I missed the end of that statement there, but Brad, I did want to get some statements from you, but first Gonzo, please give me your thoughts on the Bitcoin price chart. Then we're going to play this clip of Kathy Wood stating what she thinks could happen in the ripple versus sec lawsuit for XRP investors. You're going to be happy. Yeah. You know, uh, as far as Bitcoin, um, I, I'm just like, I, I'm still in the belief that we're in an automatic rally that we're going to hit that 0.5 fib between the 0.5 and the bottom of the golden pocket. And then we're going to roll back over. Right. To, uh, to, to create the, what's called the spring in Wyckoff. 
Now, what we don't know is, are we going to match the lows? Or are we going to stay above the lows? Which th that's where I'm leaning towards, where there's a lot of support between 25,000 and 20,000. I don't think we're going to make a brand new low, but we have to kind of see where the macro is. But, um, but yeah, right now we're in an automatic rally. Some people are, are, are saying things that like it's going to go up to 50K. But just remember, as the price of Bitcoin moves up, that's where all these people are going to come out of the woodwork talking about new all-time highs and, and, and it's, a, it's a bull run and all this craziness. But remember, this is just an automatic rally. We're still like, I think we're 74% to the, to the Bitcoin halving. And so we still need to get there. So just be careful because when everybody gets that max FOMO, that's when they turn around and then they'll turn, they'll roll it over and then it comes back down. Absolutely. And Brad, before I play the end of this clip, let's have a discussion about something that people have been referencing on our channel for quite a while. And it's a video we showed almost a year ago. And I think it's becoming more important than ever. So one of our listeners said, Brad, will we ever find out who the four Satoshis of the crypto apocalypse are? And what I think this listener is referencing is back in 2018, or it could have been sooner, the NSA actually tracked down the four developers who created Bitcoin and found them on the West Coast in California. This is a narrative that is never addressed by the Bitcoin maximalists. And some of our friends, like we love Mark Yusko, and this is something we'll love to have him on the show. And I actually look forward to asking him about this. Why do you think this is a narrative that Bitcoin maximalists are unwilling to address? There's over 800,000 Bitcoins sitting in Satoshi's wallet today. And according to the NSA, they track those people down, meaning Bitcoin and Satoshi, it's not a gift from God. It's a gift from four developers. I'd love to get your thoughts. Well, look, uh, this is the great question. I actually had the pleasure to be on a Twitter space with Digital Chamber of Commerce and brought this exact point up. And, you know, if we're talking about whether something is a security or not, if you can track it back to four people, <laughs> I got some bad news for you, especially if you're Gary Gensler's looking at it, right? So the reality here is, is just such as this. Whether you believe it's a security or not, let's set that aside for a second. They know who the four people are. And what's more concerning to me is why are government people and public officials acting like they don't know? And more importantly, why is a publicly traded like MicroStrategy investing so deeply in an asset that is unconfirmed where it's allocated as far as classification, investing in something like Bitcoin so deeply? And what would happen if all of a sudden the four identities are revealed and they dump that wallet and now all of a sudden you've got this huge crash that happens in the market, which would be very easy to do and you wouldn't have to let it all out of the wallet to make it happen either. Because you could let just a little bit out and then it would just it would force retail to think, my God, it's crashing and then they're jumping out. You know, Jim Cramer used to do it for a living right, is to push a market one way or another with a small amount of money. So the reality here is if that's the case, and it does appear, according to the Department of Homeland Security, that's the case. And look, I'm not trying to be down on Bitcoin. I hope Bitcoin gets straightened out and all of this stuff gets sussed out and it goes to a million dollars or more and everybody has all the lot watches and Lambos they want. But, you know, at the end of the day, think about this. Bitcoin MicroStrategy is a publicly traded company. They could be sued in a class action for not disclosing who the four identities are for this asset that they're so heavily in. All the only thing you're missing is a huge crash. And if that were to happen, you could bet people are going to want their money back and they're going to use that doorway to get it done. And I think it's sheer ignorance on anybody that's invested deeply into this to not find that that is a massive concern. Just as, just as 
it should be a massive concern that the SEC is suing Ripple over XRP. So I'm not coming at this like a maxi. I've spent a lot of time on my show having to stomach the idea that XRP could be a security because that's exactly what the SEC is after. So I don't come at this like, oh, I hate Bitcoin, but I, I'm all XRP. I've had to look at it with the same lens, you know, in the SEC versus Ripple and XRP that I was talking about Bitcoin. There is some real danger of shit not coming out the way you want it. You know what I mean? And you've got to be willing to face that as a speculative investor in this market. If you want the 200,000% gains, you got to be willing to entertain what could happen if somebody like Gary Gensler is in a position like he's in and decides to do real harm to this market just to prove a point, just to prove a point about this non-state backed money that Bitcoin claims to be here. So that's, you know, it's not a fuzzy feeling. Not warm and fuzzy. I could tell Drop you in knowledge on this Wednesday morning, guys. And we have 400, sorry, we got 592 live listeners. This is one of our great listeners here, Mentelect, who commented on who the four Satoshis were rumored to be. We've got Craig Wright, David Kleiman, Hal Finney, and David Reese. But I don't see David Schwartz on here. So very, very interesting, guys. And I'm only making a joke for our listeners. But I do want to play the remainder of this clip, Brad. This is Kathy Wood talking about the XRP lawsuit. It's highly inconsistent. And I think the SEC will lose the Grayscale case. They just lost the Binance Voyager case. Uh, Binance is being allowed to buy out Voyager assets. And uh, there is another case. Yes, the Ripple case. It seems like they might be on the way to losing that as well. So, yes, we do think there's going to be a, a Bitcoin ETF. Um, uh, we don't, uh, you know, this court case... I think that the, the, the verdict, if that's what you call it at this stage, um, will come out in June. And then I would expect uh, the, 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 um, the, the choice to be put to the SEC. Either you sh shut down the Bitcoin futures ETF that you approved or you start, you, uh, you approve a Bitcoin spot ETF. Interesting, interesting developments there, Brad. And you know what? I know that we're already an hour in, guys. So I do want to skip to a couple other important topics that I had prepared for today. But Brad, do you have any closing remarks? I'll clip this segment, call it the Kathy Wood section. How do you feel about her statements and the fact that she's publicly stating Ripple will beat the SEC? Well, look, I mean, it, it's encouraging, right? It is encouraging to hear Kathy Wood make such a statement. Uh, I have a great amount of respect for Kathy Wood and what she's doing and how she's using crypto to build her investment portfolio for her clients and customers. She's very forward thinking. Uh, look, I, you know, I'm very tempered about the case, you know, the SEC versus Ripple case. Uh, I do believe that they've made a strong case. I try to be reserved about what may come out of that case because I do feel a great responsibility talking to all of the audience members from my show and the people in your show. Um, I just I'm encouraged by her insights. I'm encouraged by her professional critique of the space and the overview of what's taking place. I do find it just as favorable that the Voyager case, uh, the judge was very, very clear in there with the SEC that he is not liking the way they're trying to, to, to roll and strong arm 
their position without any real legal clarity to it. Uh, it is, again, I think the word of the day for me is despicable. Uh, you know, the SEC is truly despicable in seeing how much they can get away with in all these individual cases to try to set little precedents along the way that make it impossible for crypto to get out of this box called securities. And again, you know, look, I hate to say this, if I could, I don't want to be too long around the mountain here, but I just want to make this, this clear because the majority of the 23 plus thousand cryptocurrencies probably are digital asset securities, <laughs> you know, and I hate to throw one at Gary Gensler's feet there, but that is a reality that the, the the problem I have with Gary Gensler is his approach and how he's getting it done. You know, you could simply provide the clarity in a bullet point, one page list of what you need to do to be client or compliant, excuse me, and go after everybody else who doesn't do it. It, it really could be done that way, but they're choosing to go another way. And again, I, I think it stems back to really, um, feeding into who does it benefit to go this way to do it, right? And who it benefits is the legacy firms and the financial institutions that have been here waiting because they've been watching for more than a decade. All of their customers go buy crypto. And now they're going to be the ones you can clearly see it happening that will custody the crypto, that will have that safe branded name where you can come here. Most of them will tell you, you don't even need to open an account. You already have an account with us. Just come here and get what you want and we'll make it happen for you. It is quite a threshold we're moving through, but a necessary one. But I don't believe the actions of the SEC are the way it needs to happen to get it done properly. Other countries have done it without doing what Gary Gensler has. And SEC officials agree with you, Brad, as Hester Pierce came out with the more prominent statements this week, saying there's more efficient ways to regulate this market. And if we think there's a problem in the industry, we need to deal with it through regulation. And then enforcement should follow regulation as opposed to the way that they're doing it today. Regulators might be better off opening up the discussion to public forums in order to create policy. And Hester Pierce said that repeatedly, I have dissented from settlements in this space because I think we're trying to do is set law through these settlements, which is the exact opposite of what they were founded for. So Johnny Crypto, just to close us out here, and then I got some interesting articles to close the show on. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, we know that you've heard Brad and many others say they go into the SEC, willing to work with them, willing to get this stuff set up, Abs. And what comes out at the end? Pow. They just get slapped with a lawsuit. And the problem is when you go to the SEC and you're willing to work with them, you're opening your books, you're opening, you're showing your cards, you're giving them all the, the details they need to, to then weaponize it and use it against you. That's that's exactly the problem I have with it, as, as Brad stated, um, is they're weaponizing your information against you rather than saying, hey, we want to work with you. And again, I think that just goes back to the overall agenda as they're just not ready yet. It's not the right time where they want to open up this market. But I think in the long run, you know, we've got 20,000 coins, 10,000 that are actually active. And I agree with Brad. A lot of those are securities and probably should go through that process. Um, at some point, I think we'll get there. And this will be, as Kevin O'Leary says, the 12th sector of the market. We're going to get there at some point in time. But, you know, in terms of Hester, yeah, I mean, again, we talked about her earlier. You know, she's definitely on the good side role, the good guy role. But if you're just talking all the time and there's no action coming out of it, it's really meaningless in the long run.
Absolutely. And the last two topics I'd love for to address for today is the big news out of Saudi Arabia and China, as they are building a Chinese oil refinery for about 83 billion won, which equates to, sorry, Johnny, I got to keep muting you because we got an echo on the back end. But China built a Chinese oil refinery for about $12 billion. And what's so interesting about this is anybody who studies currency and how the U.S. dollars actually traded knows that over 70% of U.S. dollar trades take place outside of our nation and are actually settled in deals like this, whether it's Saudi Arabia and China using dollars to settle oil. If we lose our global dollar domination, I don't even know what to say. I really just want to give it to Brad here. I've talked about this many times on the show before. So, Brad, are you concerned with not only what BRICS Nations is doing, but the fact that China and Saudi Arabia are already moving away from the U.S. dollar? Absolutely, 100%. And I do not find what is happening here at home and what is happening with BRICS and the expansion of BRICS and the pulling away of the U.S. dollar as the petro in the petro agreement to it. Uh, mutually exclusive. I think all of these things are coordinated pieces that are happening together simultaneously. I think this is what it looks like when you're moving to a new monetary system, a new financial system. And I don't believe for a second that Saudi Arabia, which by the way, not only doing the things that you just mentioned, also have a $15 billion memorandum of understanding with, uh, with BRICS, that, that clearly shows that if that MOU goes well, Saudi Arabia is joining BRICS. That's happening, right? So you don't get to do those things when you are in a petro agreement with the United States of America without the United States of America saying you can do those things. Because here's the funny thing about that petro agreement. The petro agreement is, is that all oil is to be bought and sold in U.S. dollars. You know what the U.S.'s job is? Military protection. And you know what usually happens when you go against the agreement with the United States, unfortunately? Usually some kind of bad thing happens with the country, another country rival that you have, and then some skirmish just magically jumps off. And guess what? You're going to need that military protection, right? So if this happens and nothing like that arises, then I think what you see is something happened that has been shadow-blessed by the United States, because they understand that the dollar is in a very, very uh, uh, high tension point as the global reserve currency. And something needs to happen to relieve those spillover shocks and the pressure that is on the national currency, the U.S. dollar. Absolutely, Brad. I couldn't even add anything there. So, Johnny, let's just skip right to the next topic, because one of the biggest details that we talked about today or yesterday is these connections between Casper and Ripple. And so right around minute 13 of this video released by Kevin Cage, they talk about, well, they use some keywords here. And Brad, you called me up before the show and pointed something out interesting. So I'm going to let this short clip play and go back to you. Here we go. If we uh, will accept your application, then you start talking to us directly and hopefully being chosen for the next grantee. Okay, and uh, now topic uh, connection to the other um, crypto communities. Yes. Uh, so we have a nice relation with the XRP community, right? Kevin Cage and Cash. Uh, that's uh, two of the greatest supporters of the Casper ecosystem. But you have a nice story to tell. Yes. So um, I met also um, XRP or Ripple uh, representative in Paris blockchain. They had also a very nice booth over there. We had like a, at least a half an hour conversation about how Ripple um, is working, how Casper is utilizing their uh, strong points, and what could be the synergy here. So uh, the outcome of this is that we would like to collect our business development teams and uh, find 
the best possible use case for both systems to uh, coexist together. You know, we have uh, our own strength, and uh, I think it would be a waste to not to utilize this in a synergy. Yeah, of course, yeah. In a synergy, Brad, and that's what you called me out on before because I was calling this a partnership. You're actually talking about them utilizing the best of both worlds without needing to come and sign papers. So I'd love for you to just elaborate on that. And I know that you're not too familiar with the project, but do you have any thoughts about Casper? Uh, I want to know more. That's my thoughts about Casper. I should be watching Kevin Cage because I know he he is really, really into Casper. And I love Kevin Cage. Shout out to him and what he does. That's the one thing about being a YouTuber. Once you become a YouTuber, you don't get to watch anybody you like to. You know, you're, just, you're 14, 16 hours a day trying to prepare for the next show. And Abs, you, Johnny, you guys know well as well as anybody about that. But uh, shout out to him. But yeah, uh, look, I want to know more about Casper. I don't know enough about Casper, but what I hear there is coexisting and synergy. That's what I hear there, which tells me something even greater than just partnership news is that, again, a lot of people think, oh, it's either this one or it's that one. Right. And, and I don't think that that's the case at all. I think you look for places where there can be a synergy or a coexisting. Right. Heck. To be honest with you, I want to see some competition come in. I want to see people compete with one another. Because when you have an open free market, which we do not have in this space now, thank you, Gary Gensler. But when you have an open space and open free market, that's where you really have a chance to see which technology is preferred, which one can meet the, the demands and the needs and solve the pain point for the companies and the people around the world that have them. That's where you find out what's going to work the best, right? It's not through regulation by enforcement. It's by allowing open and free markets to happen. Hey, Crypto, any additional comments here? Because I'm going to close this out with a little flare topic. But before we do that, we got 567 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Brad, typically we go an hour on the show. But when we have special guests, we can go all day. So just give me the thumbs up and we'll be ready to jump off. But Johnny, I'm going to kick it to you, my friend. What caught your attention? Yeah, no, I think at the end of the day, you know, so Casper is more about an enterprise solution to help businesses get into the blockchain. And uh, there, there will be, I think, some synergies there between what they do and what and Ripple does. So, you know, it's great to I, I've always said all along that I never thought to be one killer app here or killer blockchain. It's going to be a coexistence of systems. We know quant is going to be out there and that's going to play a role as well to be able to help with interoperability. And it's just going to be. It's a whole new world of opportunity that's coming, Abs. And we don't know where, you know, what's going to happen and where this is going to go. But it's good that the companies are talking to each other and they're actually trying to figure them out to figure out where is the synergy that Brad was talking about, which ones have the best synergy. And you're going to see a lot of that come together. And Casper and XRP, I could see that being a good synergistic relationship. So we'll have to see where that plays out in the long run. Thank you, Johnny Crypto. And this is the last topic for today's show. And I think it's one many people are listening and excited to hear you address, Brad. Coinbase Twitter announced that Flare would be listing, sorry, that Flare would be listed to their roadmap in 2023. Coinbase did an interesting data reveal that showed when prices, when, when a token is set to be listed on Coinbase, the five-day return on those projects is about 30% in profit. I'm not sure if I explained that very simply, but what it means is if Flare is at a dollar and there's rumors of it being listed on Coinbase, it typically goes to about $1.30 before that listing. And with the rumors of Flare being listed on their exchange, the price coincidentally popped about 30%, Brad. So two questions I have for you. Number one, do you trust Coinbase to distribute our Flare tokens? I was a rookie in the space at the time back in 2020, and I made the mistake of trusting this entity to give me my Flare and give me my Songbird. Lesson learned, Coinbase. And that's why I hold almost $0 on that exchange today. But the second question I have is, 
How do you feel about Flair overall? I remember a couple of years ago, this was one of the main narratives within our community. Now it seemed to fall into the background after all the missed dates and all the missed timelines. So open floor here, two questions. Do you trust Coinbase and what do you think of Flair? Well, first of all, uh, I, like you, uh, had a lot of XRP at the time on Coinbase and now they've got my Flair. And it is it is not good. Right. You know, uh, and they need to make it right and they need to make it right right away. And God bless, uh, bless uh, Fred Rispoli for going after Coinbase to get us all back what is rightfully our property. Right. So uh, now what was your, your second question was about Flair itself? Yeah, about the project Flair. I remember a couple of years ago, everyone was so excited about the DeFi that was going to be coming to the XRPL, whether it was insurance or loans or a yield return. Now all of those narratives have seemed to fallen into the background. So I just want to remind our listeners, what are you anticipating for the DeFi of Flair? Well, uh, look, there was a lot of questions. The only big question I ever had in the early days was over taxes and how to handle the airdrop and how they were going to plan to do those things and how it might affect us. And you know, uh, it was kind of a sticky spot for Hugo and shout out to Hugo for him and his team and all they're doing. It was no offense to him whatsoever at all. I just was trying to find for clarity as others were what the implications would be of such a thing, because I don't normally receive airdrops. So uh, now it, it had blossomed a little bit on social media as things do. But uh, nevertheless, I'll have to say that the reason I feel like Flair is so quiet these days is simply because of the climate we're in, right? It's Gary Gensler's SEC. And a lot of what you stake <laughs> could be made at Gary. I, I would, and I'm guessing here, speculating, but it sounds like a lot of the things uh, that are opportunities of earning returns, which someone would call dividends, right? Which easily takes you to a conversation and that's a security. So especially if you're somebody named Gary Gensler. So I would anticipate, and I can't speak for Flair, but we haven't heard a lot about uh, from them these days, you know, at this point, because they're probably waiting for some clarity and they're probably scared to be that one that sticks their head up because he's playing whack-a-mole and you don't want to be next. Exactly. And Johnny Crypto, I'd love to get your thoughts as well. And check out this Twitter poll we put out this weekend. Not too many people, 57 votes here, but two thirds of them actually agreed. Coinbase betrayal is what's coming with these Flare airdrop. They're not going to distribute those tokens. And what really gets me fired up, Brad, is that the Songbird narrative came and went. People aren't even upset that they kept our Songbird. They said, congratulations, Coinbase. Enjoy the 100 million tokens. But Johnny, I'd love to get your thoughts and then we'll continue. Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, abs, I'm always wary of, of these airdrops. And you, you, that's why it's always best to have them in your wallet um, and not count on an exchange because, again, not your keys, not your coins. If you go through an exchange, you're always at risk. They have the final decision of what to do, unfortunately. I can't imagine, though, a company like Coinbase that's supposed to, you know, publicly traded would actually withhold it. Um, I think they just need to be called to the attention more. And if it becomes, if there's enough big stink about it and more public um, outcry, then maybe something would happen. I think that's what it would take for them to, to release it. Awesome, guys. And I think the last article, we haven't talked about any CBDCs yet. So let's just do a broad segment here. Central bank digital currencies are coming, whether countries are ready or not, says Fox Business. And we are not advocates for CBDCs on our channel, but we understand that the central banks are going to promote and push this new technology. So, Brad, I'm just going to ask you broadly, how do you feel about central bank digital currencies undoubtedly coming into effect during this decade, whether it's Europe or America? We have confirmation these projects are in development what does that mean to you? What do you think people should be aware of when it comes to central bank digital currencies? 
Well, they're they're right. They're coming, and it's creepy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as you know from our talk earlier in the show, I am not a fan of government, you know, <laughs> uh, but it's necessary. I understand we have to have it. I mean, I'm not a you know complete lunatic here. I mean, we got to have some framework here. But look, I, I am I am of the uh, the position that I've heard Chris Giancarlo talk about from the Digital Dollar Project, and you have to have some kind of private third party with the three degrees of separation between the Fed, the Treasury, and the consumer use. And if you do that and you capture that, and in doing that, you make it such that it's honoring the Constitution and your right to privacy of what you buy and how much that you have, and you could buy whatever you want, and they don't turn it into the Chinese yuan and controlling their people, then yes, I, I'm, I'm, excited. <laughs> I'm excited for it, right? But, but if it's not, then it is the creepiest, scariest time we're going to be moving into. And, you know, how it shakes out, I don't know. But to a point that Chris Giancarlo has made about the digital dollar, if you achieve that privacy, if you achieve that separation, and then you can actually say, look, we can still, we can still regulate this market. We can still, if we see suspicious activity going from address A to address B, wallet A, wallet B, we can look down that suspicious activity just the way a, a patrolman on the highway says, hey, that car's going 90 and a 60. I gotta, I'm going to pull it over and see what's going on here. Or they just went by and they don't have no tags on the car, right? You, you monitor, and I think largely that's the problem and the paradigm shift that needs to happen in the SEC. They're monitoring entities and they're trying to play whack-a-mole with each entity as they go along to suppress the market and squash it so the legacy players can win. When the reality is, is we're going to really see the paradigm shift happen when everybody talks about the fintech and the innovation. You know, we need reg tech. We need regulatory technology. Put a node on the network. That way you're the cop on the highway. And if you see some through the regulatory tech that's placed on that protocol, you see suspicious activity, then you can go into it and say, now we need to know who the name is of that wallet because we just saw something bad happen here. Because otherwise, you don't have the right to stop anybody in their transactions, whether they're buying too many cheeseburgers or whether they're sending something to a friend or family over on the other side of the world. So, you know, it is a very complicated situation, but I think with that mindset, if they get those things right, you'll make the U.S. digital dollar when you're ready to anoint it and crown it the most desirable digital dollar if you can achieve those things. Here's one of the biggest concerns I have, Brad, and I don't want to get too, too much off on a tangent because I know we're maybe running out of time. But one of the things that I witnessed as a young person going through the COVID-19 crisis in 2020 was that many of the people who are who were distributing quote unquote misinformation were penalized at the time. And now many of those misinformation narratives are actually universal truths. So what's interesting is that if we had a central bank digital currency and a social credit score at the time, it wouldn't be as easy as closing down a Twitter account. They would shut down your Twitter. They would shut down your ability to purchase certain goods and services. They would shut down your ability to access your hard earned money. And this is one of the biggest concerns I have with CBDCs. Somebody actually commented, and I want you to address this comment, Brad. They said, stop acting like US dollar isn't mostly digital anyways. 
that's not a correct statement. And, and I don't think we have enough time to really elaborate on that right now. But the U.S. dollar is not even remotely close to what we're describing right now. They aren't tracking information. They aren't monetizing that information off U.S. dollar transactions. That's going to be the biggest difference. And it reminded me of a quote that we heard from Thomas Jefferson nearly 400 or 300 years ago. Who knows when this man was alive? He said, banks are more dangerous than armies. If armies ever allow private banks to control the issue of currency, a.k.a. the Federal Reserve, first by inflation, then by deflation, they will deprive the people of all their property until their children wake up homeless. And the end of this quote is on the land that their fathers fought for. So I think it's very important. And Brad, I'm just going to give you the open floor before we close the show. I think it's a great comment. Thomas Jefferson and I share the same birthday. Um, <laughs> just a little side note. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I really do. And, you know, uh, and while we're on founding fathers, you know, Ben Franklin, what was it? The comment loosely paraphrasing here. Those that are willing to give up their their liberties for a false sense of security deserve neither. You know, um, that's really what we're talking about here is you, you can't let any one entity corner your freedoms and your and your ability to operate as a citizen. And I think that really appeals to the citizens of the world, not just the citizens of the United States of America. Absolutely. And on that note, guys, we're going to close the show out by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Digital Perspectives. Thank you to Johnny Crypto. And thank you to Gonzo, aka Super G. We got 532 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And if you enjoyed this content, we'll see you guys in 23 hours. Like we always say, Warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's, Let's go. go. Thank you, Brad. Great show. Thank you. Thank you guys so much.